Hey, we are going to be looking at Genesis chapter 4 today, and I've been very excited about some of your comments, some of the emails that some of you have sent me about just things you're learning, uh, things that are maybe new to you, some of you who weren't raised in the church and became believers uh, in Christ at later times in life uh, are maybe hearing some of these things preached for the first time, and, and it's exciting to, to hear that you're learning and gaining some new insight, plus just some life lessons that I think are applicable. We started last week, started out by saying that the previous week, uh, the creation, God had created everything and it was so good, right? Perfection, paradise, what could possibly go wrong? And then we saw that it went terribly wrong last week when Adam and Eve committed sin by disobeying God. They were thrown out of the garden and they had other consequences in their lives, uh, some that we'll see play out this week. Uh, man, that was just a bad week. I mean, when you get to preach one week about the creation and how everything that God made was so good and awesome and it's just so positive, and then the next week it all comes crashing down, that was pretty bad. Uh, perhaps a narrative like this is ready for some movement. You know, usually narratives, uh, they kind of go up and down in their uh, movement of, the, of positive and negative. And I thought, well, after last week, man, maybe we're ready for something really good, right? Well, I mean, after the fall of mankind into sin... What could actually be worse? Anything? Well, hang on to your seats, folks. It's, it's about to get really, really worse. Uh, because today, we're going to see first the fall and now this. We are going to see the story of Cain and Abel, just what happens in their lives, why they do what they do. We're going to start with this principle, and that's that Cain and Abel were born in sin. Cain and Abel were born in sin. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Or how many women have said that over the history? And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Now here we see the miracle of life. Cain was born first and then Abel. Now we don't know for sure if they were twins. Some uh, believe they were, but it doesn't make any difference. Cain was still born first, and that's important uh, because the first uh, gets everything, basically. Uh, we see that Eve names him Cain, which means gotten. And she actually says, you know, with his name, gotten, I've got this man, because she got a son with the Lord's help. Remember, after uh, she committed sin and disobeyed God, uh, one of her uh, disciplines was having children in pain. So God fulfilled his promise to her to give her children, uh, but I'm sure it was incredibly painful. Now Cain decides to go into the family business. Okay? He's going to be a farmer just like dad. You know, Adam was a farmer, and Cain's going to go into the family business. Abel goes into sheep herding. So far, so good, right? Kind of a happy family. You got mom and dad there. You got the two boys kind of doing their thing, uh, earning a living, uh, kind of taking care of themselves. But we have to remember that Cain and Abel are born in sin, not born of sin. Okay, there's nothing sinful about Adam knowing Eve. There's nothing sinful about sexual relationships inside of marriage. But they were born with a sin nature that Adam and Eve did not have. Adam and Eve were created in perfection. They didn't have to sin. They chose to sin. But now Cain and Abel are born in sin. It's almost like there's a sin DNA that exists. 
Now, uh, if we could take pictures of our, our birth mother and father, we'd see that we have many characteristics like they have. We have their DNA. Uh, I have uh, parts of my face look like my dad, parts look like my mother. Uh, I'm built kind of like my, on my mother's side. My, my grandfather and I have kind of the same exact build. I mean, there's, just, there's things that we do. There's mannerisms, all of those kind of things that are part of our DNA, our eye color, our hair color, all those things. Well, Cain and Abel are born with this kind of sin DNA, just like everybody born since then, including you and I. We are born sinners. We can't decide to choose perfectly and rightly on our own because we have sin born into us. But these two are good boys, kind of. They decide to make an offering to the Lord. Now, that is a little bit uh, vague to us, okay? The Bible doesn't tell us uh, why they did this. We don't have any instruction of what to do. Uh, we don't know how they did this. Uh, did they burn them? Did they give them to Adam and say, here, Dad, this is for God? Did they toss them in the river? We have no idea how they gave an offering. That's not the issue. That's not the point. Remember, this is not a factual history book. It's factual, but it's not a history book to tell us all facts. It's a spiritual book. It's a narrative to give us the important information to learn the lessons of life. There's a very important distinction, though, that we're going to see in Cain and Abel's offering because we see that Abel's offering is accepted and Cain's is rejected. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Here's what God's word says. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Wow, this story gets good quick. On the surface, it looks like they both bring an offering to God, and for some reason, God kind of plays this dirty, mean trick of playing favorites, and he likes Abel's, and he doesn't like Cain's, and, and so he says, Abel, good job, and Cain, you know? Uh, that's kind of what it looks like on the, on the surface, but that's not what it really says in the text. We have, to get, we have to be careful. I'm gonna leave that text up there so you can see the things we're talking about. When it talks about Cain's offering, it says it's the fruit of the ground. There are no descriptors. There are no specifics. These could have been the leftovers that were laying on the ground. We have virtually no idea about the quality of this offering, except that it came from his work. But Abel is a totally different story. It says, first he gave the firstborn of the flock. The firstborn of the, why is that so important? It's critical, by the way. Why is that so important? Because when you give the firstborn, you're doing that in faith, trusting that there's going to be another one. You see, when you have a couple of sheep and they, they have their very firstborn, and you say, well, I'm going I'm to give that up to God. I'm going to offer that to him in some way. You have no idea if these two sheep are ever going to reproduce again. You hope they do. You trust they will because you're worshiping God. But he's giving his very best and the very first, right out of the gate. Then it says, he gave the fat portions. 
the best and tastiest pieces of meat. Now, when I go to the grocery store with my wife, which isn't all that often, but I do, uh, I generally push the cart and follow her around, and she gets all the stuff because she knows what we're doing and kind of what I should and shouldn't eat and all that kind of stuff. And when we get to the meat aisle, though, and she reaches for one of those things that says 99% lean, I, I know what that sticker really means. It's, it, this stuff is going to taste terrible. It's going to have no taste at all, right? Now, it might be good for me, but it doesn't taste nearly as good as that ground chuck. When, I don't know why everybody keeps naming their cows chuck, but they, you know, that, that stuff is so fat and it tastes so good. It's so good. You see, Abel here gives the very best things. He gives the best and the tastiest pieces of meat. So he gives his first and his best. You ever hear that before? God gave us his first and best through his son, Jesus Christ. And now Abel has done the same exact thing. But I want you to also look at what it says about the regard. It says the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And the Lord had no regard for Cain or his offering. See, it wasn't just the value of the offering. God wasn't just saying, hey, Abel, that's a really good offering. Good job, man. Hey, Cain, that's not very good. You can do better. That's not, that's not what it's about. But you see, our offerings are always a reflection of our heart. God already had regard for Abel before he brought the offering because he was a good and uprighteous man. He already had disregard for Cain before he saw his, you know, leftover offering because Cain was already not a good man. God already had disregard for him as a human because he wasn't following God. It wasn't just the value of the offering, it was the heart of the worshiper. Now, folks, Cain was religious. He came and brought an offering. He's a guy that would come to church, but he had neither the character nor the worship that would please God, and he probably did give him his leftovers, not only in his offering, but in his life. Abel was righteous. He had godly character and sincere worship that pleased God. Folks, God is not fooled by the religious. He just isn't. He is not impressed with the fakers. Now, listen. I have gone to church almost my entire life. And I have seen people who act one way at church on Sunday mornings and there's somebody you wouldn't recognize the rest of the week. If you think you're fooling God, you better forget that. God is not fooled. Cain would be the kind of guy that would put on his Facebook under religious beliefs, he would say, spiritual, but not religious. Which means, I believe there's a God, but I'm not going to give him my attention, which is really what that's code for. So Cain gets very angry. And when it says his face fell, that means you could see it on his face. Now, you all know what that means. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Because you've seen it from your parents. And you've probably shown it to your kids. Right? There's an angry face that everybody knows what it looks like. 
And that's what's on Cain's face at church because his offering wasn't accepted by God. Now, Hebrews 11 confirms all this. Look what it says in Hebrews 11, 4. It says, by faith, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That means that through his faith, uh, uh, Abel still speaks from the grave to us. We still have his story today. His faith still speaks. So now the two leave their worship, and Cain is frankly just ticked off. He is angry. He is mad. In fact, this anger is about to eat his spiritual lunch if he doesn't control it. Now, folks, this is something that is becoming a significant problem in our culture. I mean, it's always been a problem since this day. But men getting angry with their wives and their children, saying and doing things that they later should regret if they don't. And men, and and by the way, it's not just men. Women get angry too. I've seen those YouTube videos, okay? But, But God's saying, listen, in fact, this anger is about to really get you, man, if you don't control it. We're going to see here that sin is crouching at Cain's door. Look at verses 3 through 7. This is God speaking. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now here, I want you to see, even after all of this, God reassures Cain that all he has to do is get his heart and his worship right, and he will be accepted. The door is still open. God is still with Cain's disobedience to God, with Cain's heart not towards God, with his leftover offering. God is still saying, Cain, there is still time for you. Just get this right, man. Just fix it. But if you don't, if you don't get your heart right and you don't get your worship right, sin is crouching at your door like this. Now, what is a tiger doing when it's crouching? Two things. It's trying to make itself smaller and hide and it's getting ready to have lunch. It's getting ready to pounce on somebody. It's getting ready to make somebody their prey. God is saying, Cain, if you'll get right, all will be well. But if you don't, if you don't fix this, you will do terrible things that you will live to regret. Now, I've talked with people in prison and I have heard their stories and every one of them would like to go back to a time before they made the terrible mistake that got them there and they would like to be able to make things right. But folks, that's too late. It's too late for them to make that right. 
we have to understand we can't put off getting our lives right with God. We can't put off getting our behaviors right with God because that, that tiger is crouching, that sin is crouching, ready to devour us. Even now, though, after Cain's unrighteous heart, his fake worship, his horrible anger, God is giving him grace to turn things around. That's how God is. Before it's too late, get your heart right, Cain. Before it's too late, have an honest heart of worship. Before it's too late, give an offering of your first and your best. Before it's too late, get your anger under control. But he doesn't. And now, it's too late. Cain murders his brother Abel and receives judgment as a result. Now I look back on this and I see where I had been uh, rebellious towards God and he gave me chance after chance after chance after chance to make things right. But there is an end to those chances, folks. There is an end to those opportunities to make right. And Cain crosses the line and does something that he will never take back. Look at verses 8 through 16. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Cain says to his brother something like, hey, buddy, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk out in the woods. And then he murders him in cold blood. He commits some act of violence that spills his blood out on the ground, folks. He doesn't just hit him in the head with a rock and give him a concussion and he dies. This is a gruesome murder scene. Do you see how sin escalates? Adam and Eve disobeyed God, but they just ate some fruit. Now, that's still a terrible thing because they disobeyed God to do it, but they just ate some fruit. And now, just one generation later, Cain now is so angry and jealous of his brother that he murders him in cold blood in a violent act. Now, God comes, and just like he did with Adam and Eve, he asks a question. Cain. Where's your brother Abel? Now, God knows what's already happened to Abel. 
He's not looking for information, just like with Adam and Eve. He's giving him a chance to confess and repent. Cain's best strategy right there would have said, God, you don't see him because I've killed him. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That would have been his best strategy. But he doesn't take the best strategy. He doesn't take his chance to confess and repent and maybe make things right with God. He gets a smart mouth. He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You ever hear this with your kids? Hey, Joe, where's uh, Sammy? I don't know. It's not my day to watch him. Right? And you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gets smart mouth with God. He basically, you know, kind of insults God. Sorry, God, not my day to watch him. Not my problem. I'm not his keeper. God already knows what's happened. God responds with, what have you done? This is not an inquiry. He's expressing his frustration with Cain. For now in God's holiness, he has no choice but to discipline and judge Cain. So he pronounces his judgment on him. Cain, it's going to be harder to farm the rest of your life. You're going to work like a dog and the ground's not going to help you at all. I'm going to make it so hard that you can barely eat. He's going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. He's not going to have a place to call home the rest of his life. He's going to be set a farther distance from God. And Cain responds, God, that's too harsh. You're too mean. Somebody will kill me. So God puts a mark on him to spare his life. We don't know what this mark is. We don't know what it looked like. But it's something that everybody could see and understand when they saw him. But he is cut off from God. And he settles in the land of Nod. Now at this point, when we hear this tragic story, we would hope, we would hope, that Cain's children would see what their father had done and the consequences and judgment that came from God and they would turn things around, right? We would hope that after seeing uh, your father Cain murder your uncle Abel, know that God's uh, judgment was on him because they could see the mark, you would hope that they would do things differently. But Cain's legacy continues down his path. Folks, this is what sin does. It is, a, it is a downward spiral that just keeps going. Adam and Eve were disobedient and ate some fruit. Now Cain, their son, kills his brother. Now, let's see what Cain's legacy does. Let's look at his great, great, great grandson, Lamech, in verses 19 through 24. And Lamech took two wives. One wasn't enough for him. The name of the one was Ada and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. 
If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Wow. We just keep going. You thought after murder, after you kill your brother, what could be worse? So now Lamech perverts the model of marriage by taking two wives. Folks, there is a model for marriage. God made it clear with Adam and Eve. Uh, uh, biblical marriage is one man for one woman to last a lifetime. That's the plan. Anything outside of that is a perversion of it. But he takes two wives. He fathers children from both who do some th good things in life. Uh, just because people are far from God doesn't mean they can't uh, do good things in society, do good things in the civilization. But then he tells his, wife, his wives that he murdered a man for hitting him. Almost, almost as if he's proud and bragging about it. Almost spitting in the face of God. His great-great-great-grandfather, his and he knows all about it. We see it clearly here. His great-great-great-grandfather was pushed farther away from God and, and had to be a wanderer his whole life because he killed someone. And now Lamech is acting like it's no big deal. Yeah, I was at the store, and this guy cut in front of me, and... And I kind of said, hey, buddy, out of line, and gave him a little push, and he turned around and hit me. So I killed him. I mean, it's really just like it's no big deal. He brags about it. Somebody hit me, so I killed him. Cain's legacy continues in a downward spiral into sin, rebellion, violence, arrogance, self-sufficiency, and murder. Folks, we need to be careful about the legacy we leave behind. Generations of our offspring will be affected by the choices we make. Listen, every one of us, uh, our default setting is to do everything like our parents did. That's the default setting. Now, we can choose to be different. We can intentionally decide to parent differently than our parents, but if we don't intentionally choose to do that, guess what? We, we hear ourselves saying the same things to our kids. We see ourselves acting in the same way to our kids, whether it's good or bad. The default setting is to do what our parents said. And so when people don't intentionally choose to be different, they are going to do what we do. And that's why the Bible says in many places, the sins of a father will fall on his children, his children's children, and his children's children's children. That means the things that you do, your children will be most likely to do. And their kids. And their kids. And I'm standing here looking at my grandson. Knowing that the ways that I fail to be a good godly man he will be most apt to fall into the same trap. And it kills me. Folks, we have got to take our legacy of godliness serious and realize that we don't live in a bubble. This stupid saying of, I can do what I want because it doesn't affect anybody but me is a lie from Satan. We need to stop saying it. We need to stop listening to it. We need to stop giving it any credence because it's, it's completely false. Everything we do affects everybody around us. So here are Adam and Eve 
one son dead, one son cut off because he murdered his brother. And they knew that all of this trouble started with their sin. And there's this promise that Eve's offspring will bruise the head of the serpent. Doesn't look like it's coming from Cain's family tree. What now? What will God do? How's he going to accomplish what he said he was going to do? Well, we're going to see here that God's plan will always come to pass. There's no stopping it. Look at verses 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So another son is born, Seth. He has a son, Enosh. And look at the legacy that Seth and Enosh begin to leave behind here. It says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Cain and his ancestors and his legacy go one direction, and Seth and his ancestors and his legacy go another direction because they love God, because they're calling upon the name of the Lord. In fact, we're soon going to see in this book that Noah actually comes from Seth's genealogy. We'll see even later that Christ comes from that same gene- genealogy. Here's the point. God's plan will not be thwarted, folks. It's going to happen no matter what. God is going to do his thing. His plan is unfolding with us or without us. We can either get connected with him through his son, Jesus Christ, and participate in his plan, or we can do our own thing. God will just let us do our own thing like Cain and be cut off from God's plan. He's still going to do what he wants. Now, as I think about that, I don't know about you, but I'd rather know him, worship him, please him, be blessed by him, be used by him, to accomplish his plan rather than fight him, fake worship him, rebel against him, be further separated from him, be disciplined by him, and be overlooked in his plan, wouldn't you? Folks, the world is not getting any better. We may have more technology. We may make uh, more scientific discoveries. But the world is not getting any more moral. All you have to do is look at what the governor of New York signed this week. That's not a political statement. That's a moral statement. Okay? The world is not getting better. It is spiraling downward. What will you do? What will you do? Will you give your life to Christ? Be a part of his plan? Bring a heart and an offering that worship him that is your first and your best where he regards you and and accepts it from you? Or are you going to have a heart that is rebellious, play religion, act religious, 
but not really be different. Not let Christ really have control of your life and be cut off from God's plan. Folks, there are two choices, and there is not middle ground. There is not middle ground. I want you to come with me. I want to be a part of God's plan. I think God wants to use Fellowship of Grace as a whole to to be the light in Parkville and around the world. I think God wants to use each of us as individuals. I want to get in on that plan. I want to get in on that plan. Listen, 20 years ago, if you would have told me I was going to be a pastor, I would have said, that's crazy. But my high school friends find out I am a pastor, they say it is crazy. It's amazing what God can do with us when we just give in, when we just yield to him. God wants to do amazing things with you too, through your life, through your family, through your legacy. He wants to do wonderful things and he wants to start with you. The question is, are you going to get in on it by yielding to him, by giving your life to him, by believing that what Jesus did on the cross pays for your sins and by faith, you put your faith and trust in him to save you and you get on a path of knowing him and worshiping him the rest of your life or are you just going to do your own thing? And find yourself cut off from him. I want you to come with me. And together, together, let's see how good God can do with people like us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenging lessons here in in this story about Cain and Abel. God, forgive us for the times that we rebel. Forgive us for the times that we uh, pretend. God, help us to be uh, legitimate. Help us to be genuine. Help us to be real with ourselves and with you. Father, help us to overcome our sinfulness as we see it there, crouching like a tiger ready to eat our lunch. God, help us to resist it. Give us the power of your spirit to overcome it. Father, we thank you for these lessons. And we thank you for the way that you want to use people like us as part of your plan. God, help us to yield to you. Help us to be involved in, in what you want us to be involved in and to be, uh, just see you work in a great and, and wonderful way in us as individuals and us as a church. Father, for those that are here and still um, rebelling, still saying, I want to do my own thing instead of your thing, God, I pray that you would just pound at the door of their heart, that you would pound so clearly they could not refuse you. God, draw them to yourself. Help us as a church to support them, love them, and to encourage them into your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.